scripture is Galatians uh, chapter 3, verse 1 through 22. The law and faith in Christ. O foolish Galatians, who has cast an evil spell on you? For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made as clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. Let me ask you this, qu- this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be? After starting your new lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? Have you experienced so much for nothing? Surely it was not in vain, was it? I ask you again, does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obey the law? Of course not. It is because you believe the message you heard about Christ. In the same way, Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. The real children of Abraham, then, are those who put their faith in God. What's more, the scriptures looked forward to this time when God would make the Gentiles right in his sight because of their faith. God proclaimed this good news to Abraham long ago when he said, All nations will be blessed through you. So all who put their faith in Christ share the same blessing Abraham received because of his faith. But those who depend on the law to make them right with God are under his curse. For the scriptures say, Cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the commands that are written in God's book of the law. So it is clear that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. For the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. This way of faith is very different from the way of the law, which says, it is through obeying the law that a person has life. But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scriptures, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Through Jesus Christ, God has blessed the Gentiles with the same blessing he promised to Abraham, so that, when, so that we who are believers might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. The Law and God's Promise Dear brothers and sisters, Here is an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or amend an irrevocable agreement, so it is in this case. God gave the promises to Abraham and his child. And notice that the scripture doesn't say to his children, as if it meant many descendants. Rather, it says to his child. And that, of course, means Christ. This is what I'm trying to say. The agreement God made with Abraham could not be canceled 430 years later when God gave the law to Moses. God would be breaking his promise. For if the inheritance could be received by keeping the law, then it would not be the result of accepting God's promise. But God graciously gave it to Abraham as a promise. Why then was the law given? It was given alongside the promise to show people their sins. But the law was designed to last only until the coming of the child who was promised. God gave his law through angels to Moses, who is the mediator between God and the people. Now a mediator is helpful if more than one party must reach an agreement. But God, who is one, did not use a mediator when he gave his promise to Abraham. 
Is there a conflict then between God's law and God's promises? Absolutely not. If the law could give us new life, we could be made right with God by obeying it. But the scriptures declare that we are all prisoners of sin. So we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. God's children through faith. Before the way of faith in Christ was available to us, we were placed under guard by the law. We were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith was revealed. Let me put it another way. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian. For you are all children of God through faith in Jesus, in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ, like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. Thank you. I know that was a really long group. But I felt like I had to do all of it. Because you can't do just part of Galatians 3. It goes 2, 3, 4, all kind of intermingled together. But there's such power in 3. I love Galatians 3. In the past couple weeks, we've been studying Galatians. We've learned that Paul has made it perfectly clear no one has a right to tamper with the gospel. He preached what was directly given to him through Christ Jesus, not through man. Jesus came to free us from bondage to the law. So we can, as Kristen so eloquently pointed out last week, live in the light and the power of the cross. Remember that 220 description she gave us, plug into the 220? Kind of sticks in your head. This week we're going to dig a little deeper into the faith versus the law of works. And what that means for us. The Galatians were fighting between themselves about following the letter of the law and changing the gospel to suit their fears. Eh, Twist a word here or there, it's okay. Just follow the law. Paul was adamant about making sure the Galatians understood that they themselves are justified justified by faith, not by their works. Paul was letting the Galatians know in no uncertain terms that the gospel was from God. You can't change it. They have no authority to alter God's word in any way, shape, or form. None of us do, but we do it. It's easy to do if you're not thinking if you're not paying attention. Sometimes if it's convenient. The Galatians found it convenient. Paul reminded them that his own conversion conversion would not, could not have happened if it weren't for God's intervention. Paul went as far as asking the Galatians if they recalled how they received the Holy Spirit and from whom. Galatians 3.2 says, let me ask you one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. 
You received the Spirit because you believed the message that you heard about Christ. Belief. That's where it starts. That's where it ends. That's where it rests. Laws were given as a temporary measure to kind of give us guidelines until the coming of Christ. When Christ came, he alone filled the requirements of the law. Colossians 2.14 says, Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. So why did we need the law anyway? First, let's look at a definition of what law is. A system of rules which is a particular country or community recognizes as regulating actions of its members and which may enforce by the imposition of penalties. The second crucial definition for us, a rule defining correct procedure or behavior. There are a ton of definitions about what a law really is, but basically it boils down to there are rules that have been set by man to decide what is acceptable, what is allowable, and what behavior is punishable. So why did we need the law? Well, without the law, we wouldn't know what sin is, and we wouldn't know that we need rescuing from it. Think about it. How many times as a child have you been told, don't jump on the bed because you're going to fall off and get hurt, or you're going to fall off and break something? Did you listen? Did you go jump on the bed anyway when the parents weren't around? And how many of you fell off and got hurt? And then you go screaming to your parents. I fell off, I got hurt. As parents, we set the law for our homes. In our homes, in our home in particular, as our daughters were growing up, we laid down the law. You can imagine I was the one to enforce it. Tom was always at work. He was working hard with other kids. When they were little, the rules were different. Every morning they had to get up, brush their teeth, get ready for school. I picked out their clothes. They had to eat what I fixed for breakfast. They had to brush their teeth and get dressed. Then they had to get in the car, and I'd take them to school. They had to wear what I picked out. I fixed their hair. We had all girls. I fixed a lot of hair. (laughs) As they got a little older, laws changed. They had to pick their clothes out the night before. They had to get their own breakfast. They had to brush their teeth, wash their face, do all the things getting ready for school. Now, Patty wants to make sure you all know this is not her, (laughs) because most of you know Patty. We had one daughter who decided she was not going to follow the house rules. She thought she was all grown up and could do it all on her own and do what she wanted. Well, she refused to pick out her clothes the night before. I forewarned her, you need to pick out your clothes or I'm going to pick them out. She refused. So in the morning, she refused to get up and get dressed. I tossed a glass of water on her. I said, get up, get dressed. We're headed out. She refused. So I went, and I picked her hiney up, and I plopped her in the car, and I took her happy butt to school. No breakfast, wet, in pajamas. 
there are consequences to law. The law in our house was, you will go to school. You will get an education. Yes, I did. (laughs) It wasn't a difficult thing to do. But she wasn't going to win the battle. We had the laws in place for a purpose. It wasn't because I wanted to be mean. They think it was. Sometimes I think they still do think it was. But she, there are consequences to not obeying the laws. She, at one point during the day, was a little embarrassed. She asked her teacher, can I go to the office and call my mom so I can get clothes? And the teacher said, sure. I worked at her school. <laughs> so she walked her hiney down to the office. The principal called me into the office and said, your daughter's here. She wants you to go home and get her clothes. I said, yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> Not going to happen. So she got to stay embarrassed all day long. Nothing she could do. Nothing I was going to do about it. She learned a really tough lesson that day. Follow the laws of the house, or there will be consequences for your deliberate, sinful choice. And that's how we put it to her. It's not that we were being mean. We said, you chose to sin. There are consequences to your sin. As they got older, the laws got different. We didn't have a repeat of that. And none of the other children wanted to do that route because they realized, yeah. But can you imagine when our adult kids come back to visit and they're hanging out at our house, how silly it would be if I said, oh, hold on, I got to pick out your clothes, I got to get you this, I got to do that, and don't forget to brush your teeth, and laws change. God's word doesn't. Laws change. So once they grew up, moved out, the rules that we had had in place for them when they were younger, we no longer needed. As I said, rules and laws change. Sometimes it fits the time. Sometimes it's out of convenience. Sometimes it's just that we've grown out of them. Laws can change, but the gospel, the word of God, never, ever, ever, never changes huge difference. In Galatians, Paul is speaking to followers of Christ. Before we became Christians, we needed laws as a guideline to differentiate between what's right and what's wrong. Once we have accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior, our lives changed. But so should our perspective. But often, like the Galatians, we choose what's easier to do. Galatians were insisting on following the laws they had followed before their conversion to Christianity. Paul was emphatically letting them know that their struggle with the law was over. Verses 2 through 5 say, Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be after starting your new lives in the Spirit Why are you now trying to become perfect in your own human efforts? Have you experienced so much for nothing? Surely it was not in vain, was it? I ask you again, does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obey the law? Of course not. It's not because you believe the 
It is not because you obey the law. It is because you believe the message you heard about Christ. Paul is pretty clear here. It is not of ourselves. It is not of any laws. There is nothing that we can do. But it is through faith, purely by believing in Jesus Christ, that we are sanctified. The truth of the gospel is that you did nothing except hear it and believed by faith. You can't finish the work of God by your works of the law. God's already finished it. Leaning on your own efforts can only mess it up. Unless we are crucified with Christ and have Christ living in us and are living by faith in the Son of God, we're not walking according to the truth of the gospel. The power of Christ in us is greater than anything we can comprehend. Romans 8, 1 through 2 says, Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. That's powerful. That is powerful. Our sin was put on Jesus. He took our sin and became our sin so that we had salvation. Galatians 3.11 says, So it is clear that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. For the scriptures say, It is through faith that a righteous person has life. In Galatians 3, 6 through 14, Paul even uses quotes from the Old Testament. Righteousness is credited from God to those of faith like Abraham. This blessing is for all nations, not just Israel. Living under the law brings a curse because none can perfectly keep it. I'm going to read that one again. Living under the law brings a curse because none can perfectly keep it. He's talking about us. That's in Deuteronomy 27, 26. We can't keep the law. The law is not of faith of works. That was in Leviticus. Deuteronomy. Christ redeemed us for the curse of the law by his death on the cross, where he became a curse for us that we might receive the blessings and promised spirit through faith. We in our, in our own flesh are unable to keep the letter of the law. I'm sure without realizing it, many of us have broken laws, man's law, without even realizing it. Did you know, now I'm not going to laugh during these while I might, did you know that in Alabama it is illegal to throw salt on a railroad track? The penalty for that is death. That's a little, like, drastic. If you throw salt on a railroad track, they can kill you. I wonder how many people have broken that and not even realized it. It's man's law. In Rhode Island... 
it is unlawful to sell a toothbrush and a toothpaste to the same customer on a Sunday. Why? <laughs> Husbands, you're going to love this one. I want to see you raise your hand if you're going to volunteer to do this. In Virginia, it is illegal for a woman to drive down Main Street unless her husband is walking in front of her, waving a red flag. Who's going to do it? Ah, you're all chicken. <laughs> I didn't think any of you would volunteer for that job. Did you know, this one is for my husband. In Florida, after 6 p.m., you are not allowed to pass gas in public. <laughs> yep, he's guilty. I'm guilty of the next one. You're not allowed to sing publicly while wearing a bathing suit. (laughs) I should. Times, I'm sure. But my all-time favorite, it is in North Carolina. It is against the law to sing (laughs) off-key. Yes. Yep. Big fine. Jail time. We can never move to North Carolina. Sorry. As David Thoreau once said, any fool can make a rule, and any fool will mind it. Man-made laws, they can be changed. They can be altered. They can be ridiculous. God's laws is just to believe That's all he's telling you to do. Believe in him. So what Paul is conveying here in chapter 3 is in our inability to save ourselves. We can only find salvation and sanctification through believing in God's word alone. Nothing we do, nothing we attempt, nothing we can think about, nothing can bring about the freedom that is in Christ Jesus. The truth of the gospel is Jesus Christ crucified and what that means to us as Christians. Freedom. We have Memorial Day. We're celebrating and honoring our veterans who lost their lives, who have given their lives, who have disrupted their lives for our freedom. Jesus gave the ultimate sacrifice. We are so, so free in him. The men and women in our armed forces willingly sacrificed their lives for our freedom. Jesus Christ went one step further. He took our sin as his sacrifice. He put it on the cross so that we could become heirs to the promises he made to Abraham. Freedom is not free, beloved. Freedom is a cost. It cost Jesus Christ every one of our sins and put him on the cross. Our freedom here in the U.S. cost our military members their lives. It shed blood. Freedom is not free. Freedom has a cost. We have three days we celebrate 
our armed forces. Memorial Day, Labor Day, Veterans Day. How many days do we really acknowledge and appreciate and think about the sacrifices they've made? How many days do we think about the sacrifices Jesus made for us? To think that he put my sin on him so that I could have freedom. It's overwhelming to me. When we were baptized into the family of God, we not only joined him in our life, but we joined him in our death, in his death, in his life, in his death. Have you forgotten Romans 3 through 5? Or have you forgotten that when you were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since we have been united with him, we also be raised to life as he was. Hands. I know I'm fritzing out here. It's hard for our minds to comprehend what truly what that means. There's no more distinction between my sin, your sin, your sin, your sin, or the severity of our sins. Severity of anyone's sin. A sin is a sin is a sin is a sin. And Jesus took our sins upon him for each one of us. We, too, like the Galatians, need to stop looking to the law to justify our actions. Our baptism into the family of God requires that we believe nothing more, nothing less. It's not our actions that saved us from our sin. It is the sacrifice of Jesus that bought our freedom. He bought our freedom. In fact, Paul goes on to remind us in Galatians, there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. That's what changes us. We're no longer bound by the law, but by the belief that we know that Jesus is our Savior. Does that mean we can go around breaking every law, knowing that we're fine, we're saved? No. What it means is that with Jesus Christ inhabiting us, we strive, we desire, and we yearn to be more like Jesus. Our hearts have changed. As Christians, we need to live differently than we did before salvation. If our neighbors, if our family, if our friends don't know that we've been saved by the grace of God, then we're doing something wrong. We must, must reflect our new lives in Christ. Before Christ, we lived defeated, passive, beaten up lives, rejected by those who live and see things differently. But in Christ, 
Oh, beloved, we can live boldly, we can live confidently, and we are assured, we are assured that we are children of God and heirs to the throne. That's exciting. Talk about freedom. That's freedom. I've got God bumps because I know I'm free in him. And that's the only way I can be, is free in him. We need to remember that not all our friends, not all our family, not all our co-workers acknowledge Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So it's impossible for them to live their lives differently. They cannot live their lives in accordance with the way that they need to because they don't have a relationship with Jesus. We're expecting them to live what we know. They can't. We have to teach them. We have to share with them. We have to show them the difference that Jesus has made in our lives. We need to pray for them. We need to be bold in how we live. Until they realize that they need rescuing, they don't need rescuing. They think they're fine. They don't need saving until we point out, whether it be by our actions, our words, our prayers, that we know they need a Savior. Until they know they need a Savior, you can go along and give them a boat, give them a helicopter, give them any means of rescue. It won't matter because they don't know they need it. Before you knew you needed a Savior, did you need rescuing? No. You didn't know you did. We have to be the difference so that they see their need to be rescued. There's no need to look for God if you're just plodding along fine and you don't know you're in trouble. You don't need to look at a map if you don't think you know where you're going. Jesus has to be our map. And we have to use that map for others. If you think you know where you're going... You're just going to go until you get lost. Then you need rescuing. Then you need your map. Then you need your GPS. But until you get lost, you don't know that you're lost. We were on a trip one time, and we were driving around, and somebody said, are you all lost? I said, nope, just finding a new adventure. I was not lost. My husband was lost. (laughs) I was driving. But he felt lost. But I was just looking for a new adventure. I didn't need rescuing. How often do we not need rescuing? We don't know we need rescuing. Get on that hamster wheel of, but I don't need it, but because I'm good. I just go to work, I just get my check, I just go home. It's all good. We need a savior. Our friends and our family and our co-workers and our neighbors need saviors. Jesus Christ is the only savior. We've taken off our old sinful ways and put on the righteousness of Christ. We cannot do that under our own power, but by God's infinite ability to keep us grounded in him. We must be continually 
growing in Christ. We cannot sit and wait for osmosis or assimilation to take place. It doesn't happen. We must be proactive. We must seek him more and more. Change is difficult, but beloved, we must be willing to change. We must be willing to allow our hearts, minds, and actions to change. And we have to do it daily. And it's not just once a day. Sometimes it's two and three times a day. This is not a one-time event in our life. It is a daily action. James 2.17 says, So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Didn't we just say all you needed to do is believe? Those are pretty strong words. Can you say it with me too? James 2.17. Can you put that back up, Jay, please? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. But we just said, all you need is faith. Truthfully, all you need is faith. But through your faith comes your desire, your drive, and your passion to do good deeds. If you're not showing that, if you're not producing fruit, what are you doing? As Christians, we must believe that in order to reflect Jesus, we must produce fruit. We must live out our faith in our daily lives. We need to strive to produce good deeds. Not that that's going to get us any further up a ladder, any further ahead, or in Jesus' presence any sooner. Not because the law says so, but because we desire to reflect Jesus Christ and the freedom he's given us. I want the entire world to know about the saving grace of Jesus. I can't do that on my own. I can't do that unless I start showing them, look, look at the benefit. I'm not walking around grumpy and miserable and and just unhappy. I'm joyful. Even when I'm having a rough day. It's okay to be joyful. And it's okay to have a rough day. But we have to reflect Jesus in those days. He's given us freedom. We have to show that to everybody else. So in the next few weeks, we're going to delve more into the freedom we have found in Christ and what that means for us. Beloved, after we have accepted Jesus, we are no longer self-centered but we are Christ-centered. Laws may have changed, but God's word never changes. God's word is always true. Man's law changes. Man's word changes. God's law stands firm. It never wavers. So are you living a life free in Christ, reflecting the fruit of his spirit? 
Or are you walking around defeated, dejected, frustrated, and living in your old ways? I want us all to remember to put on the new suit of freedom, the new suit of joy, and the new suit of hope daily, even when you're under attack. It's not easy. But what Jesus Christ did for us was not easy either. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Heavenly Father,